0: The following podcast contains explicit language. I'm Benjamin Frisch and this is the Slate Culture Gab Fest Where'd You Go Jar Jar Binks edition. It's Wednesday, August 21st, 2019 on today's show, Where'd You Go Bernadette? is the new movie from director Richard Linklater, him of the Before Trilogy, Days and Confused, Boyhood and more. The film stars Cate Blanchett and it's an adaptation of the novel of the same name by Maria Semple. Then, A Black Lady Sketch Show is the new HBO series entirely written and starring a cast of black women. It's irreverent, smart, and very, very funny. And finally, we discuss Slate's list of the 25 most important characters of the last 25 years with Slate's Forrest Wickman. We'll debate the list and just how important Jar Jar Binks is, really. If it's not totally obvious, I am not Stephen Metcalf. I'm Benjamin Frisch, the producer of this year's show, as well as Slate's Decodering podcast. Steve, unfortunately, is off this week, running with a pack of extremely well-shorn dogs upstate. Julia Turner is also out. She's combination bird and whale watching from a helicopter off the coast of Los Angeles. (laughs) And Dana Stevens, too, is out. She's in seclusion at a convent in Idaho. Uh, That one is actually true. It's not a joke. (laughs) Um, So today I'm joined on this very special, bizarro episode of the Culture Gab Fest for her first time ever hosting the show, uh, a writer at Slate, the great Rachel Hampton. Hi, Ben. Welcome. Thank you. I'm also joined by June Thomas, the senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Uh, you know, it's funny, June, that you're the senior managing producer, and yet you've never appeared on a podcast before. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, to prepare for the show today, I actually went out, I ate apple pie, and I shaved a dog. It wasn't actually my dog, but I just shaved <laughs> one anyway just to get in character. So I'm ready.
0: Yeah. We ask a lot <laughs> um, of, our, of our hosts here. Uh, all right. Are you ready to dive in? Let's go. Bernadette Fox is a mess. A former celebrated architect, she and her tech bro husband Elgin and precocious daughter B live in a decaying manor in a Seattle suburb surrounded by soccer moms she hates, and her low-grade depression has turned her into a neurotic homebody. She's shaken out of her habit by an impending family trip to Antarctica, and we witness her breakdown over the course of the film via email dictations left to her Indian virtual assistant Manjula as family and community dramas build towards... A weepy family drama, a tech satire, a parable about the healing powers of art. I'm honestly not really sure. In addition to Kate Blanchett as Bernadette, the film also stars Billy Crudup as her husband LG and Emma Nelson as her daughter B. Uh, Kristen Wiig, Judy Greer, Lawrence Fishburne, and Steve Zahn also make appearances. Um, but before we get into it, let's listen to a clip. You
1: know what LG doesn't know is that I am still obsessing about LA. What do you mean? You know, just last night, right, I, I woke up to pee. You know, I'm half asleep, I'm a blank slate, and then the data starts reloading. It's a Bernadette Fox, 20-mile house, destroyed, failed. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it's like failure's got its teeth in me, and it won't stop
2: shaking. You done?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, good, because
1: I know you can't honestly believe any of this nonsense. As amusing as it is, it obscures the larger point which is that people like you must create. That's what you were brought into this world to do, Bernadette. If you don't, you become a menace to society. I think there's one very
0: simple answer to all of your problems. Get your ass back to work and create something. Get your ass back to work.
1: I really was concerned about your health then, Ben, because your eyes were rolling so far back in your head. I was worried that you might go blind.
0: Okay. So, yes, uh, I did not love this movie. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting things about it, um, especially, I mean, Kate Blanchett's performance, yeah. especially. But why don't we just start by June 1st? What did you think of the movie generally?
1: So I did not hate it. I thought it was a perfectly fine way to spend like a Sunday afternoon in the summer. Uh, Kate Blanchett is always amazing. She just can make the most uninteresting material interesting. Uh, she's she just kind of she's a magnet for your eyes, for your attention, which is hard on anybody else who's in the movie, but is great in a movie like this that is weirdly thin and unmotivated. And you kind of generally, are, at least speaking for myself, I was pretty much able to put all my critical faculties on hold while I was watching because I was enjoying her, and I was also a little bit enjoying my old home of Seattle and 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 seeing like the Space Needle restaurant and all of that, and and a very fake version
2: of Microsoft where I used to work. So I really liked it when I left <laughs> the movie oh theater. I God. know I. Didn't read any of the preparation packet beforehand, so I didn't know what I was going in. I've never seen a Link Lauder film. So this was very much just like, I'm gonna go see Kate Blanchett do some shit. And <laughs> I got what I wanted out of it. Um, I thought that it was like really sweet and charming. I really enjoyed the relationship between the mom and daughter. Emma Nelson is was really great in it. I really, really liked her. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was beautifully shot. Like the Antarctica scenes are kind of still in my mind. And it kind of took on this magical realism quality for me, which if you wanted something that was realistic, I could see how like this did not fit into that. But watching it, I was like, this is just like a cute, fantastical movie. You know, it's interesting, Rachel, that you said this is your first Richard Linklater movie because
1: uh, I have seen others of his films, but I do think that this is very different Um There's a similar tone in some ways in that, like, it's not an action packed movie, you know, like some of the film, some of the scenes feel inert would not be uh, exactly the word I choose, but I also know where that feeling is coming from. Like, there's not a lot of action. There's not a lot of even uh, when Bernadette has moments of realization, they tend to come out of nowhere because it's a very kind of. I don't know, just like in the moment movie. Um, But this is a different kind of movie for him because he has, it's the first time he's made a movie with a woman unquestionably as the protagonist. Uh, And he has typically made films that are either brotastic or, you know, films like Dazed and Confused or very much about the experience of kind of, well, boyhood and family life.
0: Yeah. I'm not a Linklater completist, but I've seen seen a few of his movies and this doesn't if, if I had just seen this in a vacuum, I would never would have guessed that this was a Linklater Neither. movie. I think the the fundamental reason why the movie did not work for me. Kate Blanchett's character, Bernadette, as the protagonist is totally aimless and having an aimless quality in a protagonist is the death of the momentum of a film like protagonists in storytelling terms like have to want something they have to like be trying to get that thing and I'm not trying to be prescriptivist about exactly how movies always need to be made but because she's unsure of what she wants and because she can't make these decisions it's like it's hard to root for her because we don't know what she wants Um, and that's to me why the movie felt aimless
2: I can definitely see that I think I had the opposite connection. I can definitely see why that can turn someone off. I kind of loved how aimless it was Mm -hmm. and that it kind of very much captured what I feel like when I'm in like a depressive mode where Mm -hmm. I just, you get very focused on very specific things and you're like, I'm okay because I'm focused on this very specific thing. And for Bernadette, that was her daughter and like trying to figure out this trip. Um, I do think that the last like third of it was extremely rushed. I do think (laughs) that it was just like, it went from being like a movie that's very much in Bernadette's head to being like, oh, now we have all this outside action that's going to happen. So that was very kind of like, what's going on here?
1: Yeah. The book that the film is adapted from, which I read when it came out, partly because it was sort of presented as something of a Microsoft book, um, and which I then forgot all about when we started talking about, okay, what we should talk about this week. I said, oh, I read the book. And then when I couldn't remember a single thing about it except that Microsoft connection. I've since been reminded that it's it's effectively an epistolary novel in which Bernadette barely appears and so there's a mystery at the center of it. Where where'd you go Bernadette? You know that that's there's a question mark at the end. And in the movie you never are puzzled about where Bernadette went. Yes, she is perhaps a shell of her of her quote real self and she's in effect hiding from that previous genius grant. Uh, Bernadette Fox, but she's there, and she's you know she's clearly not okay. But it's also not clear. Like she's not a bad person. She's not a bad mom. She's not a good neighbor. But like, just what kind of person is she? Like, it's just not clear. It doesn't
0: go far enough in pushing any of the characters. I think like the daughter, as as much as I like that performance, the daughter is just like she's a little too sweet, a Mm -hmm. little too precocious, a little too well adjusted. The husband is. I, oof, I did not like him at I all. I was
2: very confused by what yeah. exactly his yeah. entire role was. Because yeah. at first I was like, I don't like you. You seem su- like such an absent father. Like you don't pay attention to anything that's happening. And then there's like this kind of redemption arc in which everything's totally fine at the yeah. end. And I'm like, why did it take you. 13 years to get to this point like clearly your wife has been struggling and you suddenly are like oh I've mentioned therapy five times five times in 13 years is not (laughs) a lot like (laughs) that is not it's about as often to go to the gynecologist like you really don't (laughs) you forget those things so I'm just like you are clearly as absent from this relationship as she is and I thought you were the villain of this movie and then you suddenly weren't and I was that was yeah.
0: In, in some of the reading that we did, it mentioned that in the book his character mm-hmm. is more functionally antagonistic yes, to her. Yes. And he
1: does more bad things.
0: And it sort of felt like the movie needed a little bit of of those voices. Yeah.
1: We don't really have a clear You don't really know exactly who the protagonist is. And since, yes, that question mark, maybe we're not supposed to. But you don't really know who anybody is. Like, are they just the neighbor even? Kind of awful, but maybe just Bernadette being mean. Like, there's just there's a lack of clarity that for me made it made it just I, I seek clarity in a movie, maybe excessively. I speak now as somebody who loves television, maybe as my as my favorite medium It felt like a movie that would have been better as, like, a limited run TV show. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. One of the things that I love that we'll get to in a Black Lady Sketch Show is how it, like, even since I've started watching it, is how it's, like, reframed kind of how I'm watching other stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, to me, after I watched this just yesterday after I had watched Black Lady Sketch Show over twice, and um, there's something suffocatingly white about this movie.
2: Oh, yeah, I... I love Lawrence Fishburne, but when he came in, I was like, are you really going to put a magical Negro into a movie in the year of 2019? Like, I don't... I so see what you're saying about a limited series, because there were so many moments that could have been stretched out. Like, they crammed so much plot exposition into either these rants to manjula or like the video that they the terrible yeah. video. I was, <laughs> I was so surprised that didn't come up yet because i really feel like both of y'all hated that honestly oh. watching that i was like interesting technique i can't tell if i like this or not <laughs> um i was like i kind of get what you're going for um and then lawrence fishburne just appears for reasons unknown and I was like, were you guys meant to me or did you just happen to be in the same restaurant because you didn't ever tell us? And then she goes on this like spiel that Cate Blanchett does so well. Yeah. But I'm like, you were exposing all of these internal narratives but in these like soliloquies. Yeah. And it seems like the movie for the first two thirds wanted to be a character study without actually being a character study. Mm-hmm, it just mm-hmm. was like looking at what she's doing rather than like whatever her internal motivations are and leaving these like quick rants as the only thing exposing what's going on in her head and i'm like i see i think that's why i liked. i think i fell in love with the potential of the movie i really mm. like watching it i'm like i really see what you're going for here like the toll that motherhood takes the toll that like miscarriages take like what happens when creative genius doesn't create for you Or years. is
1: mistreated.
2: Exactly. And it's like, I see so much what you're trying to do here that I think, I was just like, I love it. <laughs> I yeah. love what's happening.
0: I, I guess one, the only issue I'll take with what you said there is I, I think that this movie falls into a trap that movies about artists sometimes fall into where the solution to all problems for artists is to make art and um, that's just not how it works it's not that's just not enough like you also need support you like you need medication sometimes maybe like it's just it's multifaceted yeah
1: there's there's a there's a, a kind of a strange uh, running part of the movie where she does have medication she's got a lot of, of pharmaceutical products but she doesn't take them and she just puts them in a big jar you know because apparently for aesthetics but there's something like like that that really that's the thing that most makes me want to do an intervention like that that's really a bad thing to model that is not like you really need help around that um and yeah that that was like i'm not that i'm not one of those people who thinks that every movie like has to be telling the absolute truth about every single thing but like that actually felt kind of dangerous and antithetical to as you say like it's not enough just to be given a chance to you know Make a building that won't solve your problems.
2: I think it also reminded me of a Nancy Myers movie. Totally. In a way, mm-hmm. Which I adore yeah. because of, I think I, <laughs> I adore them because they make no sense. And uh-huh. I think that's why I love this movie because I'm like, it doesn't make sense. It couldn't actually work. And this is what happens a lot when I see movies about like, purely white people, I'm like, I can't relate to this. It's not real, so the plot doesn't need to make sense. Uh And so, (laughs) I think that's what, like, I'm just like, oh, cool, this is just like a fantasy because, like, I can't see myself in it. So I'm just like, oh, okay. And so I think that's what I come to a lot of movies like this like. And I'm like, oh, does it really have to make sense? Like, this doesn't make sense to me in general. So I think that's part of why I like this. It's very, it's like a Nancy Myers esque movie. Yeah.
0: that's I, I love that. I think we should leave it there. So... um. I guess, I would not recommend that people go see this movie. June, you seem...
1: I I feel like go in knowing that what you're going to get. But Kate Blanchett is amazing. There's fine acting. There's nice scenery. It's not very accurate about Microsoft. I'm sure that's what most people are going in there looking for. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I really thought it was a pleasant way to spend a Sunday afternoon. But that's the level for me.
2: Yeah, I saw it on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday night. I enjoyed it.
0: All right. Well, if you have thoughts and want to tell us about them, um, you can tweet us at CultFest. Moving on. Before we move on, let's do the business. Uh, June, what do you got?
1: In Slate Plus today, we're going to go a little further on our discussion about Slate's 25 pop culture characters list and all nominate a character or two to add to the list. To hear segments like that and to get ad free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program and it's a great way to support us. For just $35 for your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing the Culture Gab Fest and your other favorite Slate shows. And of course, in return, you'll get extended ad free versions of the show and other great Slate shows like The Waves and a ton of other great benefits. So if you'd like to support the Culture Gab Fest, go to slate.com slash culture plus and join slate plus today all right let's go
0: though black women rarely take center stage so much of internet culture and pop culture writ large is built on their voices our slang our fashion even our bodies have been rendered marketable except when black women are the ones who stand to benefit a black lady sketch show shifts the focus back to where it should have always have been That's passage from my co-host, Rachel Hampton, in her review of a black lady sketch show for Slate. The show is entirely written and starring black women and stars Gabrielle Davis, Quinta Brunson, Ashley Nicole Black, and Robin Thede, who also created the show. Sketches range from absurd viral engagement proposals, invisible spies, riffs on the intricacies of black hair care, and more. Let's listen to a clip.
2: Do you, Chris, take Lachelle to be
0: your lawfully wedded wife? Do I? <laughs>
1: <laughs> OK, very cute. The answer, son, is I
0: do. Psh, for sure, look at her. Huh? <laughs> mm. Sorry, you need to say the phrase I do, just to make it legal. Oh, I got you. Ask me again. Do you, Chris, take Lachelle to be your lawfully wedded wife?
2: Don't I? Not quite. I don't. <laughs> just kidding. Of course I can, babe. Come on. Just say I do. Y'all ain't got to rush a Russian, nigga. <laughs>
1: Look, we only have this place for forty-five minutes. Then they're having a hair show. Okay. Look,
2: babe, huh. we we're almost there. Huh. Okay. You love me, right? Yeah, I got love for you, babe. Okay, then just say I do. I. I. Da Boom boom. Did we good? All
0: right. Um. Well, I love this show. I'll just say that. Rachel, you reviewed the show for Slate. What did you think?
2: Yes, I also love this show. Um, I came to it as someone who doesn't really watch a lot of comedy. And so as someone who generally turns off comedic shows within like an episode, the fact that I wanted to watch through the end was kind of my sign that I thought it was really funny. I, one of my favorite parts, and I think what works really well about this show is is that it's this aggressively online show. Like Mm -hmm. it's like inhabiting so many corners of the internet that are just like dominated by black women. And it just felt so like intimately familiar to me watching it. I was like, I've never seen this kind of level of like black parlance just, and there's no one that they're explaining themselves to. Like generally there's like, when you're watching things like this, I, in my head was comparing to, like a Tyler Perry film mm-hmm. where I'm just like, I can see that you are translating yourself for a white audience and I understand why you're making that choice. But for this, there were so many in-jokes that just no one explained. And I mm-hmm. adored that so much.
0: I found it, um, this may be shocking to audiences, but I am white. and <laughs> uh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I found it so thrilling, like, not to know a lot of the references. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what is the, the sitcom... Two twenty-seven. Two twenty-seven. Yeah, like I, I didn't know. But you I,
1: also are maybe too young for that. Maybe, but
0: um, I mean, I like I had to look it up. But I, I, don't know. It was like it. In some ways, it felt like peering into a world that I didn't know a lot about. But I also found it totally hilarious and relatable. Mm-hmm, yeah. I do enjoy sketch comedy. I'm not a a super aficionado, but. Um, I would say Kroll Show is one of my favorite shows of the last decade easily. I think that it's like a totally underrated um, sketch show. And I watched I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson, which came out earlier this year on Netflix. And um, especially compared to I Think You Should Leave, this show just feels so much more substantial. Like it feels like it's coming from a lot like the vo- the voice of the show just f- feels so much richer it's coming from a lot of different places did you- did you have a favorite sketch june
1: well mary wilson one of our colleagues on the podcast team has a theory that your favorite sketch on the black lady sketch so it's like a horoscope it like reveals <laughs> who you are and my favorite sketch was invisible spy or trinity whatever we want to call that i think many of us can relate to that um uh, so this is a woman who is indeed like a, an international super spy, but is continually mistaken for like a kindergarten teacher or a woman who works in a budget store. At the same time, the one that I keep remembering is the hertep sister, um, which which actually feels like the most like troublesome sketch because mm. you know there's it's a woman who is not in any way qualified but he feels very happy to you know conspiracize and to um, you know to throw out potentially quite painful and erroneous uh, facts um, and yeah absolutely and, erroneous facts
0: and is the kind of thing that were it on SNL could be handled very very poorly. Mm. Yes. What did you think of that one?
2: I really love that one. There's this kind of tradition of like conspiracy theorism in a lot of black communities and a lot of it comes from the fact that a lot of things that have happened to black people are things of conspiracy theories. Like the Tuskegee experiment, um shadow slavery in general, mm-hmm. like just there are so many things that sound like science fiction that have actually happened that just being constantly aware and on guard for those kind of things which is part of being black in America and there are obviously moments where it transfers into like conspiracy theorists (laughs) um my mom who is like a very smart woman has a PhD and like does like data science also has her conspiracies where I'm just like this it really doesn't make sense, but it does. And so this, well, is from con and conspiracy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Exactly. It's just like this, like connection, like that. You're just going from like one to the other to the next. And I'm like, this is just so funny and so familiar, and but just like turned up times like two thousand. The fact that it's like a master class is just yeah. like. Yeah. I and then, and, when,
0: and then she reappears yes, at a, in the, <laughs> at in the a wedding. wedding
2: and then he's just like, sit down before I revoke your trust fund and I'm like, <laughs> Yes. That's exactly it's just it was amazing. Yeah.
0: My favorite sketch, um I did enjoy the basic ball. Oh, uh, the basic uh, ball was amazing. Which is is just I think it's very funny, but actually on second viewing, I think I appreciated the um the viral wedding or uh, viral engagement proposal mm-hmm. sketch. Uh I just I don't know, there's something so silly about it, but, like, so gleeful, and the way that... There are very, very few men in this show, and the ones that are in the show are almost always just like kind of dopes in and but
1: often handsome dopes yeah yes. and this is oh, very hot jokes. and <laughs> the, the
0: dope in this one is is a very handsome dope who um <laughs> just like i don't <laughs> i don't need <eat> vegetables <laughs> i don't answer text messages
2: yep and it was like but you should marry him anyway because he did this great viral yeah, proposal for exactly. you exactly yeah i what's your re- favorite ritual Um, I really loved the one where they're trying to go to the black owned restaurant and it just turns into this like endless loop. And I mean, that's also what the show gets so done so well. It's like, it's partially dystopian in Mm -hmm. this really subtle way. And a lot of this, like, sometimes it's just straight up like the world has ended. And Mm -hmm. that's not really a spoiler because it happens in the first episode. But a lot of the shows interview this kind of like nihilism where it's like the world is coming to an end or like this thing is random like fantastical element is added in, which I really enjoyed. And I think that one was really funny because very relatable A. There's kind of this um not like mean, but saying that like the kind of the meaner someone is to you at a restaurant, the better the food's gonna be. Um <laughs> which is generally true. Like you don't like a lot of restaurants, you're not there for the customer service. But a lot of these restaurants also end up getting like reviewed by white people on yelp and they're like these have terrible customer service the food was bomb though and it's like that's what you get at these (laughs) restaurants like that's (laughs) it's not for you they're not there to smile at you but then to like kind of flip that into what it ended up being was like one of my favorites
1: well this is a funny thing because there is often in these sketches not in all of them but often there's like a third point like there's there's your original how it appears. Mm-hmm. Then is what it really is. And then there's like often a final kind of, I don't know if it's a grace note exactly, but like a kind of a reveal or a actually a turnaround. And sometimes that works. And sometimes I wish they hadn't. Like there's a sketch um, where uh, there's a teacher who's like, you know, probably in one of these academies where you've got to be really like upbeat and you're going to like show these young women like a great model of of strong black womanhood. Mm-hmm. But actually she's really depressed because like her boyfriend broke up with her and the kids help her and like but in an interesting and not obvious way and it's funny. But then at the end they reveal it to be a California lottery ad and you're like, why'd you do that? Like it's okay, we can ignore it because the sketch was still
2: good, but why'd you do that? Like, Mm -hmm. no need. The element of adding in as a commercial and like making it clear, like the fashion nova kind of like skits were an interesting kind of through line for me through the show and that I feel like because the show again is so well versed in kind of the language of the internet, it seemed to kind of be pointing towards this idea that experiences are all like commodities uh-huh. like no matter like a lot of what we see on television when we see like black women being represented or like representation representation in general are actually just marketing ploys yeah. and so that's what those kind of spoke to me as. I don't know if it was necessarily, done well enough that you're like this is obviously what they're doing but that's what i kind of saw all those ads at the end as interesting yeah
1: interesting. that's smart yeah it's but i'm very conscious that if people have not listened I are just saying and then there's that other great sketch it's maybe not the most productive thing i like you rachel i really i watch sitcoms but i really don't watch sketch shows i don't watch stand-up um, and I was kind of went into this thinking, well, you never know with sketch because like one might be good, and then the others might all be terrible. The quality is fantastic; it's it's all very good. There's there's hardly anything that I thought, well, that shouldn't have been there. But off the top of my head, I can't think of anything that I didn't think was up to standard. And it is nice that they kind of do keep coming back to a few of them. Um, every
0: every sketch is so creative. Yes, and, you know, on I think you should leave the Tim Robbins. Sketch show—it's like it's a lot of sketches with the same joke. Yeah, there are very, very few sketches here that are really playing on the the same tropes or ideas. Like and they e- all ke- seem to be coming from different places.
1: Yeah, and even when it's kind of variations on the same joke, like you know nighttime hair care slash you know skincare slash makeup, like they actually refer to different things and make different and it, oh my god there's a joke about a woman who like is always late because she's always our sketch i should say it was about a woman who's always late because she's like spends a lot of time on her makeup and at first thought, i was in that and i was like i was so with her colleague and then the sketch was so amazing i will not spoil it because that's one that should not be
2: spoiled but oh my god that was an amazing sketch yeah and I think it, the turns that the show takes yeah. where you're like, this is what this sketch is going to yeah. be about. And then you're like, oh, it is aggressively not about this. Exactly. But it still is about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Can I just say, I also just learned a lot, I feel <laughs> like. like. I didn't know this: black women wear scarves to bed.
2: Wow. That's <laughs> like, yeah, that's really important. Yeah. I, I had no idea. See, and I, I felt like I was getting a little pat
1: on the head there for knowing that. So it's like, you also, like, if you are a white person, like me, like <laughs> Ben, you can sometimes, like feel wow I'm really really familiar with black culture because I know what a silk bonnet is don't do that people <laughs>
2: <laughs> do not do that but also some as we saw on the show some black women don't do it um, <laughs> and you know it's fine that's why I kind of wonder like seeing the show as someone who's not black and doesn't understand the end because I don't even get all of them because I'm not I'm younger than all the people who are taking like telling most of the jokes so some of them I'm just like this is a bit beyond my age bracket um, but as somebody who doesn't get most of the jokes, is it still, like, do you just kind of like, do you laugh? Like Yeah. I, yeah.
0: I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I don't get most of the jokes. Not I, most
2: I, of them, but like some of them.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that I just, I, I miss some of the references mm-hmm. more than like the jokes. But I don't, I don't know. I don't have a problem with that at all. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm also a, a, a gay person. I'm very used to not. Um, necessarily being clued in on everything that's going on. So, mm-hmm. like, to me, this is just another variation of that. And I'm, yeah. I'm very used to to watching stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And I think it, yeah, it's, I'm sure there are things that I missed. However, and possibly, like, I should also mention something that we haven't really gone into. There are amazing cameos. Like, mm-hmm. almost every amazing black woman, maybe every amazing black woman that white people are aware of, is on the show. Yes. And then there are some that I was like, that that woman looks familiar. Or, oh wait, that's like, you know. And then I I had to kind of because there are so like that's another level of reference that you know if you didn't watch Brandy or You and Me or whatever the shows are called, like you maybe won't recognize everyone. But then there are some really huge names.
0: Like we should we should name some of them. Like um, um,
1: Angela Bassett.
2: A, yeah, Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, Kay. Yeah, Kelly Rowland's in it. Um, Amara Negra. Um, Lena Waithe, yeah, um, Livern Cox. Cox. Yep. It's just like, apparently when they did the show, they're like, oh, we're going to try and go for like 10 guest stars. And they just reached out to people and everyone responded to the point where they were building characters into sketches because so many people wanted to be a part of it, which I think really speaks to like how unique the show is. But it's like almost every single sketch had a guest star. But what was amazing is that even though it was one of the best parts of the show, even the ones just focused on the core four were still like incredible. Like yeah. you weren't just there for the guest stars. Totally. You weren't just there being like, they never, just going to pop up.
0: No, yeah, exactly. They never overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. In fact, Angela Bassett may be the only one who's even name checked, but only yeah. because of like the structure of how they named the
2: episodes. It was still quite subtle. Yeah.
0: Um, I hope the show is a massive hit.
2: I hope so too. They gave it a really bad time slot. It, it's like eleven PM on a Friday. And At the I, same
1: time though, I'm not sure how many people actually watch HBO exactly. like on the timetable. Yeah. Like if you've got HBO you can watch it on Unless
0: HBO, it's Game Girl. of Thrones or Westworld. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I also see the shows I see the sketches living on online a lot. Like I was kind of curious as to which ones they were gonna um, take off and just release as just general videos Mm -hmm. and it seems like people are gonna watch it more that way than necessarily like how people watch late night television now where it's just bits and pieces Mm -hmm. i hope it gets renewed the way that it they ended the season just with that like reveal i'm like i really want to know like how they're going to incorporate this into a second season or if they are if they're just going to like abandon that format and be like we're going to do something new
1: at the same time i'm also like I love this show. I was really mad to discover there were only six episodes. I, I, as I said, I'm not a person who watches sketch shows, but I, I found myself using it the way I use YouTube. Like, I want ten minutes of entertainment, and I can, I can just watch two sketches or whatever. At the same time, like these women should be doing the biggest things. Like, they're every writer is obviously amazing. It's got, you know, and we should also say it's got a. Everybody's black in this. Like, the director is black. The head writer is a lesbian. Like, there's a lot of queerness. I have a feeling maybe the director is. I'm not sure I shouldn't make such assumptions. Um, but, um, like, I also want these people to get even bigger jobs because everybody is so fantastic. Yeah.
2: So, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of torn on that. Definitely. I feel like there's room for both because isa yeah. was involved with this absolutely and, and yes. so i'm like if yes. this kind of translates into the way that like awkward black girl translated into insecure was translated into everything else i'm like this is a really cool it's also just a really good platform for up-and-comers even yeah. though we saw those amazing guest stars it's like if you you can appear in a sketch on black lady sketch show get your credit on hbo and then move forward so it yeah. just. I really, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's A Black Lady Sketch Show. It's on HBO. Um, It's currently running now. I think there are three episodes up publicly, and then there'll be three more. Uh, I think it's three really big thumbs up here. So check it out. Yes. What makes a character important? Is it influence, inescapability, or something more subtle? Uh, We're joined by Slate's culture editor, Forrest Wickman, to discuss Slate's list of the 25 most important characters of the last 25 years. Thank you for coming on the show, Forrest.
3: Thanks for having me. Hey, guys.
0: Um, So, Forrest, you helped spearhead this list with Mm -hmm. uh, Slate editor Dan Yep. Would you just give us a quick rundown of what the list is?
3: Yeah. So, as you suggested, it is the most important characters of the past 25 years. It is emphatically not the greatest 25 characters of the past 25 years, which is, I think, immediately where everybody's head goes. It's what we're all used to. Pretty much every list on the internet tends to be always about the best or greatest or occasionally worst, and it's always <laughs> along that spectrum, and it's rarely al- along other spectrums. But, you know, I think as with the New American Songbook project we did last year, we wanted to... Um, take a different criterion to look at, uh, you know, recent pop culture history. And so in this case, it really started actually with um, the character Milton Wadams from uh, from Office Space. Slate editor Loewen Liu really loved that character. And uh, so it was Loewen's uh, love of Milton that really inspired this project because he was thinking like, man, Milton is the kind of character who would never make a list like this. And so that got us thinking about um, you know, what makes a character memorable, what makes a character endure, and then we decided to zoom out a little bit more to just what makes a character important, and then I think we came up with a, a bunch of different ways.
0: Can we list some of the big names on here?
3: Sure. Well, you, Ben, uh, wrote about uh, Pikachu. Yes. Who, it, who it just seemed like objectively had to be on this list. I mean, probably no single character has been responsible for more you know just sheer dollars in earnings um uh, you know you you might remember the statistics but basically pokemon is the largest new franchise in the
0: world it's the largest media franchise with 90 billion in revenue uh, right over games cards uh tv movies uh everything um my i mean really the reason that i wanted to pitch pikachu just besides the fact that Pikachu is ever present in our culture now. Right. But um, Pikachu is actually sort of important to me learning about Japanese aesthetics and anime and manga when yep. I was growing up, which would be like really important to me. And I think it was for a lot of kids. And now when you look at cartoons, they're all so influenced by anime. And it existed in the United States before Pokemon, but Pokemon is really the thing that brought it to public or to to the attention of the public in a way. Um, and for that alone, I think that it probably deserves to be on this list. Um, what are some other big ones?
3: Yeah. Um, so we had, for example, The Babadook, uh, which I wrote about or who I wrote about. Um, we had a Carmela Soprano at number one. We had Donald Trump from The Apprentice at number two. There was some debate about where exactly, like what is the line between a character and a, and a real person? Um, and that was a case where, you know, there's that whole, uh, who knows? Forty thousand word. Art. It's really quite amazing An article in the New Yorker about Mark Burnett and how they constructed the character of Donald Trump and and the and the ways in which he was different from the real life Donald Trump. Um, so I think there are a few somewhat nonfictional characters. Uh, Thomas Jefferson from the musical Hamilton is on there. Um, Sarah, Koenig. Sarah Koenig is another sort of nonfiction character, and that was another kind of industry one where. You know, if, if you look at, for example, um, Adam Sternberg wrote this history of the podcast uh, for New York Magazine a few months ago, and the kind of pivotal, pivotal moment in that whole history of the podcast is when the serial team realized that, oh, the main character in this show is not Adnan Syed, the main characters, Sarah Koenig, which then led to both, you know, arguably led to both the podcast boom and to a large extent, the true crime boom, which tend to center on these investigators who we follow. Mm-hmm. Um, Oftentimes
0: and, women. Yeah, 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 I guess that's true. Well, you, you've gone
1: through a few of the characters mm-hmm. um, and you mentioned since you spoiled that Carmella Soprano is number one. Yes. Explain why Carmella is number one, because I don't know that it's quite so obvious to everyone that she would be the most important character in that show, but also in, like, of most important pop culture character from the... Yeah, from
2: the I mean, the, I the real
3: history there is that while we were making this list, we just knew, like, oh, shit, we have this Donald Trump problem. Like, how, A, you have to put Donald Trump on this list, and it's undeniable that he, that, that character from The Apprentice being that he is responsible for a change in world history to a large extent, had to make this list. Um, and then on the other hand, none of us wanted Donald Trump to be number one on this list. He's just too much of a narcissist to give yeah. into. And and when we were talking, you know, when Dan Kois and I, uh, my partner in running this project, were talking about it, Carmela was the character he kept coming back to. I was like that is the only other character I can imagine putting at number 1 on the uh, on this list. And I and I think there's really a few reasons. I mean, number 1 uh you know, one of the main things we kept coming back to is how an inf- a character can influence a number of other characters and so um you know, the same way that Tony Soprano helps influence your Walter Whites and John Draper's Carmela Soprano really kind of laid the m- the mold for this sort of like trope of the like blonde wife who struggles with her own complicity in her, um, you know, husband's wrongdoings. And thinking about that, it, you know, it occurred to us that that is, or or really it occurred to Lydia Kiesling who wrote about that, uh, who wrote about Carmela that, that, you know, really arguably more important than Donald Trump is Everybody who elected him mm-hmm. and also everybody who kind of remained complicit and and stood by. And that's that's to a large extent what Carmella represents and helps us understand.
2: I really love this list. I loved how angry people got about it. Uh-huh. Me, I want to know what is the character that people have gotten the most just impassioned about? Because my first thought would have been Jar Jar Binks.
3: It has to be Jar Jar Banks, right? I mean, I saw people, I guess it's probably true that I saw the most tweets about Jar Jar Banks. And Jar Jar Banks is at once a character who, of course, you know, seems like a troll, and yet it's. Totally right. I mean, Jar Jar, you know, we were just talking about how characters can kind of influence a whole number of descendants uh, who come along in their mold. And Jar Jar had sort of the exact opposite effect, like a sort of negative negative influence. (laughs) Yes. Where it's like, oh no, we can't, like, every single franchise. Who was, you know, writing a character for their next, um, you know, movie or whatever it was, just had to think like, oh no, is this character a Jar Jar? Um, and and Jar Jar was influential in a number of other reasons, but I think you know that the the majority of the sort of hate tweets that we've gotten about this has been about omissions, and we anticipated that there would be, you know, along the lines of what you were asking, June, uh, you know, you know, like where are the white male antiheroes? <laughs> yes. um, and you know, there are some. The Babadook is my favorite white male (laughs) anti-hero of the past 25 years. Um, But the the characters we actually ended up hearing about the most, I would say, are um, a number of characters who I might characterize as kind of uh, New York media writer types. I guess it's not always New York, but uh, so... Your Liz Lemon's, your Peggy Olson's from so Liz Lemon from Thirty Rock, um, Peggy Olson from Mad Men, and you know I I really love those characters and they are really important. But at some point making the list, we realized that a bunch of uh, writers and media folks in uh, who were in their twenties or thirties had nominated a bunch of you know, writers in New York who were also in their twenties or thirties. And we were like, okay, we already have Bridget Jones who, you know, not New York, London, but uh, a writer who, who helps, you know, kind of lay the mold for a lot of these characters. I'm not sure there's a Carrie Bradshaw without Bridget Jones, for example. Um, and also, to, to some extent, the kind of apathesis of those characters and, and Hannah Horvath from Girls. And so it was like, uh, and, and I could go on about other characters on the list who are sort of in that mold, but it just felt like we have enough of
0: those. I saw a lot of angry tweets about um, Hannah Horvath uh-huh. on, the, on the list as well, but I think it's absolutely right to but, be there.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're just sort of feeding the case when you get angry about Hannah Horvath's yeah. inclusion. I mean, that's a huge part of... And, 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 you know, another reason we wanted to include Hannah is... She is, I think, arguably just a much more interesting version of... She's also, to some extent, the the sort of apathesis of the whole um, antihero thing. And that's something that Lena Dunham has talked about explicitly about how she envisioned Hannah as being, to some extent, a, a sort of antihero, but nobody... Thought or f- few people thought of her as constructed in that same way and in, in the way that they thought of, say, Walter White.
1: And, you know, Mindy Lahiri from The Mindy Project, yep. played by Mindy Kaling and created by Mindy Kaling also, is also somewhat in that mold of, of an antihero, uh, you know, who's annoying and awful and yet also magnificent in her way
3: yeah and and you know, perhaps interestingly, that was another character where people seemed to fail to see the distance between the writer yes. creator of yes. the show and the character on the show. And I, you know, I think there's multiple dynamics going on there. like it is a case where the, the writer and creative show is also playing that character. yeah. Um, but it's perhaps not a coincidence that they're also both women.
1: Yeah. there's one of the things that I that struck me looking at this list is that there are many, not the first of their type, but like the first complicated version of their type to be a big hit in the culture. So, for example, uh, I believe uh, our colleague um, Nitish Power wrote about... um, Kumar. Kumar uh, in the Harold and Kumar movies. First stoner Indian-Americans. And... I think um, who was one of the gay? There's a gay character who's like the like awful gay character, but like so, what was that about? Awful.
3: uh, So among the gay characters are uh, Willow Rosenberg. I mean, there's a sort of whole debate about how Willow identifies. Exactly, Mm -hmm. Uh, arguably bisexual, as arguably lesbian. uh, Omar from The Wire, oh, right. who, you know, no. that was one where we were thinking about him and we were like, oh, do, I don't really want to include Omar because Omar he always makes these lists. But actually, the more we thought about it, it was like, oh, you know, we were thinking about Sh- Chiron from Moonlight, for example. And then it was like, huh, actually, Omar did a lot of these same, same things and was, in addition to being a very cool, like just by being such a cool and original character, he sort of snuck all of this very. Sort of tender, subversive gay representation yeah. onto prestige and, television, and
1: The Wire the had had so many amazingly complicated queer oh, yeah. characters. Like that show deserves to be on the list for many things, but including that, yeah, in, in my view.
0: Can I say the the one character I was surprised not to see on this uh-huh. list that I think I'm sure that you considered was Cartman. Uh We did.
3: So there was a there was a whole bunch of characters who people nominated as in some way reflecting either Trump or Trump's America. And that was sort of the appeal to importance. And Cartman was one of the characters who people made that that sort of case for Um, the American id. Yeah, and and that was interesting, but that felt like a whole road that I wasn't sure we wanted to go down. In part because it was like, does this is this character actually important? Is it, do they reflect something that's very important? Sort of after the fact or or whatever. Um, I'm trying to. So you know, there was a debate about do we put Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, from from the you know WWF WWE whatever you want to call it, or do we want to put Dwayne the Rock Johnson? And that was a similar debate where it felt like okay, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin. And sort of reflects these larger cultural, um, you know, uh, movements and so on. But The Rock actually did more to sort of move and change them. And so that that's Cartman fell under that category. I mean, also there were just so many characters who kind of narrow. We got hundreds of nominations for this, so there was a lot of characters who we didn't think were not important. We just didn't think were as important as these.
2: I think the character that sealed the deal for me was Edward Cullen. Uh I truly, I think we underestimate how important Twilight was to the culture and no one ever talks about it anymore even though we have Fifty Shades of Grey which is based off of it now and I'm like, we need to talk about Twilight more often. Even though Edward Cullen's a terrible character I am so glad he was on that list. I was like, all right, I'm I'm good with this list. <laughs> We're good.
3: Yeah, I mean that that was a character. I, it's easy to forget the the Fifty Shades connection that you mentioned, and and in some ways his terribleness, <laughs> as you put it, that was not my words, um, <laughs> He's is part terrible. of what ended up making him. Well, I mean the way that I think it was Laura Miller, our book critic, who wrote about um, Ed Cullen, and what uh, she wrote about is in terms of his blankness, which allowed us to sort of project. Um, anything onto him and 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 that you can certainly see in Christian Grey from Fifty Shades of Grey too and so yeah I mean the impact that that character had on the publishing industry is humongous you know the impact on America's bedrooms uh, perhaps <laughs> quite significant a little harder to yes, uh, the impact quantify on teen that
2: teen girls like for right. growing up after Twilight came out the entire YA section was just vampires and like yep. paranormal romance and we all want to forget that part of ourselves because it's kind of embarrassing but like Edward Cullen was kind of the model
3: yeah yeah I mean the vampire thing was huge another thing I kept sort of coming we were really surprised how many characters from books end up Mm. ended up making this list also two characters from theater which we never would have (laughs) thought I just you know there tend to be not the most uh discussed and relevant seeming art forms of our current moment people tend to think more of tv and movies um but a number of them really jumped out and and they were also the characters who really got millions of people reading who might not otherwise have been reading so much. I mean, we, I just said that books don't seem as relevant, but the last time I remember looking at the numbers, you know, young people are actually reading as much, if not more than before, um, contrary to, to popular belief. And a lot of it is because of Edward Cullen or, you know, Hermione who's on this list and sort of embodies this, you know, um, love of books that a lot of people, including myself really connected with.
0: Well, thanks for coming on, Forrest. Thanks, Ben. Forrest is going to stick around for our plus segment, uh, where we're going to all sort of add a character or two to the list based on our our own preferences. Um, So if you want to hear that, uh, stick around for the plus segment later. I can't wait to tell you guys why you are wrong. (laughs) Now is the time that we endorse. Uh, June, what do you got?
1: So, I'm taking this opportunity to recommend a book that I have been a little bit self conscious about recommending or endorsing when the author was in the studio with me. Uh, Nicole Perkins is a co host of The Waves and uh, a writer. And um, in the way that I often do when someone I know has a book, I bought it and read it. I also recommend The Fun Family by Benjamin Frisch. Mm, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, Nicole Perkins, who is uh, known for Thirst Aid Kit and is a host on The Waves, um, has a book of poems called Lilith But Dark, which I really recommend. They are beautiful um, poems about a whole variety of topics about childhood and friendships and family relationships and romantic relationships and sexual relationships. Um, and there are kind of in thinking of uh Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which for all its flaws really does have a very nice uh, mother-daughter relationship. There are some really lovely mother-daughter poems or poems that Nicole wrote, I believe, for her mother. And the last one in the book called Avon for Life is just particularly moving. It's... uh, About her mom, uh, who was a nurse, um, kind of treating herself uh, by ordering out of the Avon catalogue and also, of course, supporting her friends at work. Um, And how uh, people who don't have everything that they deserve can find small kind of rewards and treats um, from something like Avon. Um, and it's it's just kind of a, a beautiful poem, and I just recommend the whole book, Lilith But Dark by Nicole Perkins.
0: Great.
2: Um, I'm gonna endorse a movie that recently came onto Netflix and that I have watched twice in the past week. Um, it's called The House Bunny starring <laughs> Anna Ferris and it's her Emma first Stone. big movie right it was It was I think in 2008 um, stars Anna Ferris as um, a Playboy bunny. Her biggest dream is to be the centerfold. And on her 27th birthday, she is kicked out of the Playboy Mansion because of some nefarious plot. And she ends up becoming the house mother for a failing sororities um, that include some of the sorority sisters include Emma Stone, um, Harmony Corrine, uh, Keely Williams, some other people. And it's just it's a rom-com. Um, Tyson Ritter, the lead singer of All American Rejects, was in it, which is one of my weird I was like I have to watch this because Tyson Ritter's in it obviously um and it's just a really heartwarming really funny movie and kind of just really pokes fun at this idea that Anna Faris is this like kind of dumb blonde girl and everyone wants to make fun of her but she's really like the beating heart of the movie and all the like kind of dumb things that she says are actually like weirdly profound um I I adore the movie it's just a really fun watch like it holds up surprisingly well, like a lot of the humor does. And Anna Faris just kind of steals every scene that she's in. It's also funny watching Emma Stone in her early career play this like nerd character. So would recommend a rewatch of The House Bunny if you have not seen it before.
0: That sounds so good. I've never seen it. But now that it's on Netflix, I have to watch it. Yes, you have to watch it. I'm so excited. So I have two musical endorsements. Um, The first one is... Uh, something called the Seaberg 1000, which is something what I now? just discovered this <laughs> weekend. The Seeburg 1000 was a kind of like – it was like a kind of small jukebox sort of thing that offices or factories might purchase in the like 1950s, 60s, or 70s, and or 80s even. And what it was, it was basically a subscription service where you'd have this box and then you would get these – Every quarter, they would send you a stack of like um, vinyl records that were in this kind of special format. And what it would do, it would play these records in succession. And so it's it,
1: like a jukebox. You didn't have to put money into.
0: Yes, and it was. It's all mood music. It's huh. it's it's not technically Musac because Musac was its own company. This was actually a competitor to Musac. Mm-hmm. But um, this machine, you know, was installed in factories and in offices and. It sort of disappeared. Everybody forgot about it. And then apparently there are some people now who are trying to make it a thing. And the people who own the copyrights of this music have a website, which is Seaberg1000.com. I recommend you go there. But the thing that I'm actually recommending is that they have a 24-7 live radio Whoa. stream of Seaberg music. It's going all day long. I've been listening to it like nonstop. I love it so much. <laughs> let's let's listen to a little bit right now. So it's a lot of like soft jazz instrumental covers of popular songs but the songs that were like popular in like the 60s that you've never heard of and um it's just this very weird time warp and i uh, there's something about it that like really has its hooks in me and i'm totally obsessed
1: that's very unbranded. yeah
0: i mean it's definitely something that i'm i've already sent them multiple emails uh, <laughs> I would want to talk to them about doing a decoder ring about it. Um, but my second uh, musical endorsement is actually a—I'm a, not sure if I'd call it a music video or it's really a dance piece that was filmed for Art TV, the the um, or at least was broadcast on Art TV, the uh, Franco-German uh, arts television network, um, and it is a piece. Um, uh, with choreographer and dancer anne Teresa de Kirschmacher. <laughs> June, June just made a face like she knew. No, oh, you like, were just oh, making fun of me. Yes,
1: <laughs> of course, not anne Teresa von Kirschmacher. <laughs> yes, she's, she's
0: actually a very well-known oh. uh, modern dance I see. choreographer. Actually, she's incredible. And this video is her dancing to um, a piece by Steve Reich. Uh, The piece Violin Phase, which I think is from 1967, although this was filmed much, much more recently. Um, And the music is incredible. So, so what's happening in this video is that she's, she's dancing on this sort of raised platform that's covered in a light layer of sand in the middle of the woods, presumably in Belgium or something. And um, her movements sort of correspond to the phasing of the music. The way that violin phase is composed, it's like two, two tapes, two violin performances that are set off against one another and they phase in and out. Of sync with one another and you can see in her movements she's like adding and she's adding stuff as the composition changes and she's actually dancing in this way that that draws a pattern in the sand oh wow. as she's moving around and you'll get shots of it in this i mean the the, the video is like 15 minutes long i am totally hypnotized by it please check it out it's it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music i know and one of the um most beautiful pieces of dance that i know
2: wow if you want to see another great piece of dance you should watch the normani motivation video it is phenomenal i don't know what that is i oh, mean normani is one of the former stars of fifth harmony and oh she is so much better than fucking <laughs> sorry <laughs> This is a salty rant. Um, but she just released her first solo song that was co-produced with Ariana Grande. And at one point in the video, she bounces a ball, like a basketball, off her leg and then off of her butt because she's amazingly talented. Um, and it's just a really great music video full of, like, 90s black nostalgia. So would recommend it.
0: Well, we've come to the end of the show. Rachel, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: June, uh, see you next time.
1: Always a pleasure.
0: You'll find links to some of the things we talked about today on our show page at slate.com slash culturefest. You can email us at culturefest at slate.com, and we also have a Twitter feed, which is at Slate Cult Fest. Our producer is Benjamin Frisch. That's me. <laughs> um, and we got production and research help from Cleo Levin this week. For Rachel Hampton and June Thomas, I'm Benjamin Frisch, and we'll see you soon.
2: Here's a sneak peek at this week's Slate Plus segment. If you want to hear the whole thing, plus ad free podcasts, join us at slate.com slash culture plus.
3: We're like, oh yeah, Big Bang Theory is ending. Like, June, please write about Big Bang Theory. June, write and about my bones. Right?
1: I've seen every and episode. And then we publish it,
3: and we find like there's just so much traffic because there's this huge audience that is just not served at right, all, right. basically.
1: Yeah.